If the trenches were the defining combat element of the First World War, then surely air power was the defining element of the second. Previously, air power primarily served to support the army and navy, but now it was of vital importance to the war effort in its own right. The battle for the skies was bloody and brutal, where no quarter was ever given, for to own the skies was to command the battlefield below. Between 1939 and 1945, the primary combatants built an estimated 810,000 aircraft, and inevitably, with such large numbers of aircraft in action, there were bound to be stories that emerged which we still don't know the whole truth of. From missing pilots to a phantom bomber, to the mystery of the luminous objects seen by crews around the world, here are four aviation mysteries of World War II. Welcome to Wars of the World. In the wake of the attack on Pearl Harbor and Nazi Germany's declaration of war, one thing the US desperately needed was pilots. In 1942, it seemed that any man who could handle a stick and rudder was put into a cockpit and sent into the fray. However, pilots weren't just needed at the front. They were also needed at home to deliver new planes from the factories across the country where they would be disassembled and shipped off to war. Thus, a new organization was formed by one Nancy Harkness Love, called the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron, or WAFs, which saw female pilots undertaking these domestic flight duties, thus freeing up male pilots for frontline service. The squadron was soon joined by the Women's Flying Training Detachment, created by pilot Jacqueline Cochran, which, as the name suggests, was designed to train additional female pilots for these duties. On August 5th, 1943, both organizations were merged into one single unit dubbed the Women's Air Force Service Pilots Program, or WASP. As well as their aircraft transport duties, they also undertook cargo missions between bases in the US and even assisted in the training of their male counterparts by towing targets for them to shoot at or simulating air attacks on American troops and bases. Yet, despite their clear bravery and military role, they were still listed as civilians. One such pilot who volunteered for the new program was Gertrude Tompkins, a woman who's been described as attractive but shy and was born in Jersey City in 1912. Throughout her life, Gertrude struggled with a stutter when she spoke her native English, but when she learned French and Italian in her later years, she found she could speak them without the impediment. Later in life, she fell in love with a young man who was a qualified pilot and would take her up in his light aircraft to give her basic lessons. Tragically, he would volunteer to fight for the RAF before America got embroiled in the war and would perish when his plane was shot down over the English Channel. Nevertheless, the relationship left a legacy with Tompkins that was a newfound love for flying. Her family couldn't believe the change flying had brought about in her, 
giving her greater confidence. And while her stutter was initially a problem when communicating over the radio, she found that if she spoke in a melodic fashion, almost singing her responses, she could reply clearly and coherently. Eventually, even her stutter began to fade when she was in the air. It was therefore a logical progression for her to join Wasp, both as a way to continue her love for flying and as a way of honoring her fallen partner. Given her experience and skill, she quickly found a place among the elite members of the program, flying high-performance fighters across the United States. Tompkins would be certified on the barrel-like P-47 Thunderbolt and the twin-engined P-38 Lightning, both excellent warplanes. But later, she began flying the North American P-51D Mustang, the Cadillac of the skies and one of the best fighters of the war. On a personal level, she kept to herself and rarely accepted invitations from her younger comrades to join them on a night out in town. Instead, she eventually met and fell in love with one Henry Silver. After Henry's sister died unexpectedly, he petitioned to adopt his niece, which in turn led to him and Tompkins quietly marrying in September of 1944, allowing the three of them to become a family. However, she withheld the fact that she was married away from her superiors, who believed that married women shouldn't be involved in the potentially dangerous work of ferrying aircraft across the country. Admitting she was a married woman might spell the end of her career. On October 26, 1944, Tompkins and a handful of other pilots were scheduled to take off on the first leg of a shuttle flight between Mines Field in Los Angeles and Newark, where they would hand the Mustangs over to be transported overseas to frontline units. Takeoff was delayed as three of the new aircraft had problems regarding their canopies, but once these problems were resolved, the Mustangs took off at around 4 p.m., bound for Palm Springs. During the flight, the Mustangs flew into a fog bank, and that was the last any of her fellow pilots ever saw of Gertrude Tompkins. When the remaining aircraft landed at Palm Springs, they assumed that she'd had more trouble with her canopy and had been forced to return to Mines Field. However, nobody checked on this. As such, it was five days before anyone at either Mines Field or Palm Springs realized she was missing, and a search was initiated immediately, but no wreckage was ever found. It was speculated that she had become disoriented or distracted and flown out to sea before crashing, but search teams found nothing. In the decades since her disappearance, numerous searches by divers have been conducted in an effort to find her final resting place. While these have failed in their primary objective, they did inadvertently find the wreckage of a T-33 trainer that disappeared after the war. As is often the case with disappearances, there have been numerous theories floated around as to what might have happened, including that she used the plane to fly away and start a new life, hoping to escape her new marriage. However, this has been denied by all who knew her. Unfortunately, with very little evidence to go on, historians are still no closer to figuring out what happened to Tompkins and her P-51D Mustang. It remains an enduring mystery of World War II. By 1943, Italy was a country torn apart by warfare. Fascist dictator Benito Mussolini 
who had aimed to build a 20th century Roman Empire, had been ousted from power, and Allied troops had invaded Sicily and then the mainland, and were soon marching north. The legitimate government of Italy signed an armistice with the Allies, and turned against the Nazis. However, fascism was still alive and well in many parts of the country. Thus, with German support, Northern Italy became a separate fascist state, while the South was pro-Allied and fighting to crush them. Italy was essentially in a state of civil war. It was during this time that a curious story began to emerge amongst those caught up in the fighting, particularly in the North. The civilian population was seemingly being harassed by a strange, solitary aircraft with a distinctive sound that only visited at night. Known locally as Pippo, a name whose origin remains unclear, the aircraft was said to attack anyone indiscriminately, regardless of their allegiance, and sayings to the effect of, block out all the lights in your home at night or Pippo will pay you a visit, were soon uttered as the sun began to go down. While Pippo could be heard flying overhead, terrorizing the local population, nobody appears to have actually seen the aircraft itself. When quizzed about Pippo, tales of this aircraft's activities include farm workers being machine-gunned in the early hours along with their livestock, while bombs were often dropped indiscriminately. Some of the more extraordinary claims were that Pippo would drop exploding pens that would detonate when the button on top was pressed, and poisoned candies that children would pick up and eat. Pippo was also said to have dropped a small type of German anti-personal weapon known as a butterfly bomb. Regarding the origin of this plane, the pro-fascist Italians blamed the Allies, while, of course, the pro-Allied Italians blamed the fascists. But nobody seemed immune to Pippo's wrath. Pippo's notoriety only grew as the fascists began using the story as a propaganda tool to garner up support from the people who were unsure as to which side they felt more loyal to. However, after the war ended and people began demanding answers as to who the pilot of Pippo really was, there didn't seem to be any evidence to support such an aircraft existed, save for the stories shared among the Italian civilians terrorized by it. This, of course, has raised the question, of whether there was ever a Pippo in the first place. The most accepted explanation for Pippo is that the Italian people who shared the story used it as a way of personifying the intense air activity that was taking place over their homes. When an air attack took place during the night, it would be blamed on Pippo, regardless of who actually carried it out. This explains why Pippo didn't seem to favor one side or the other. With this personification in place, they then began to embellish the story until a common legend was created. The distinctive sounding engines, for example, have often been attributed to the RAF de Halavand Mosquito Night Fighters, their Rolls-Royce Merlin engines sounding very different to the Italian and German ones the people would have been used to hearing before the Allies invaded. But this explanation has not satisfied everyone and letters, newspaper articles, diaries, and testimonies of those who were alive at the time all tell of how this aircraft could be heard appearing out of nowhere, attacking a random target, and then disappearing like a ghost. Some have even gone far enough to claim that Pippo was piloted by the devil himself.
The German Dornier Du-17 was a vital component of the Luftwaffe's bomber force in the first half of the war. While not perhaps being as notorious as the Messerschmitt or the Stuka dive bomber, the Dornier nevertheless played a key role in Nazi Germany's war effort, flying not just bombing missions, but reconnaissance and anti-ship missions, and even functioning as a radar-equipped night fighter. Originally conceived as a high-speed mail plane, its military potential was obvious, and it was quickly developed into a bomber when Germany began rearming. its long, narrow fuselage earning it the nickname of the Flying Pencil. Its crew sat in a bulbous forward fuselage section and comprised of a pilot, a bomb aimer, and two gunners. And it is this arrangement that leads to a mystery surrounding the wreckage of a particular aircraft shot down in February 1941 near Weldon, Northamptonshire. On the night of February 4th, 1941, Dorniers were dispatched to attack the Rolls-Royce engine works in Derby, a strategically important target, for the factory was heavily involved in the manufacture of the Merlin Aero engine that powered the RAF's fighters, like the Spitfire, Hurricane, and Defiant. As such, the British had deployed large numbers of barrage balloons, anti-aircraft guns, and night fighters to protect it. Detected by British radar, RAF Bolton Paul Defiant turret fighters from 151 Squadron based at RAF Wittering scrambled to intercept. Guided by ground controllers, one of the Defiants detected a Dornier flown by 23-year-old Horst Barr and began to attack. Despite Barr's efforts to escape, his bomber was mortally wounded and sent hurtling to the ground in flames, crashing near Cothwick Lodge, just outside of Weldon. The next day, an RAF investigation team arrived to inspect the wreckage, hoping to find any useful information, but they left with nothing other than one curious discovery, an extra foot. A local man approached the RAF team, carrying a boot he had discovered amongst the wreckage, hoping to keep it for himself, but was aghast to find that the German airman's foot was still inside. He therefore decided to hand it in. As a result, when they put the remains of all the bodies together, they found a total of nine feet, meaning that for whatever reason, this particular Dornier was flying with five people on board instead of the usual four. Fueling the mystery, German records do not record a fifth crew member, listing only Barr, and his normal crew. This immediately led to speculation that Barr's aircraft was not just another bomber in the formation, but was using the raids to conceal the deployment of a spy. It sounds like something out of fiction, but in fact, during the war, both sides deployed spies and agents behind enemy lines, using bombers to transport them there through the night. Just three months after Barr's aircraft was shot down, on May 12, 1941, Carol Richer was parachuted into Britain to make contact with another German spy, but was seen acting suspiciously by two lorry drivers, who reported him to the police. He was arrested, questioned, and when it was confirmed he was indeed a spy, he was eventually executed on December 10, 1941. Captured spies did not get the same protection under the Geneva Convention as prisoners of war. However, aviation historian Mike Murray does not believe the fifth person on board the Dornier was a spy. He argues that the interior of the plane is too cramped to have had the regular crew and the spy with all their equipment on board. 
Furthermore, the only way the spy could have bailed out would have been for the crew to remove the rear of the canopy or the access door, both of which would have fallen away from the aircraft, making things extremely difficult for the remaining crew to return to their base in France. Aside from spies, other theories have included the fifth man being an intelligence officer looking to assess the success of the raid on the Rolls-Royce factory, a German journalist looking to give a first-hand account of the air war, or a ground crewman who was on hand to help out with the crew, or had simply convinced the crew to let him experience a mission. Unfortunately, all theories seem to hit the same brick wall of problems, namely a lack of records and the cramped confines of the bomber not lending well to an extra crewman. This has led Mike Murray to speculate whether there was ever a fifth crewman at all. Speaking to the Northamptonshire Telegraph in 2021, he put forward his theory that the remains of the four crew members were in such a mess that the RAF inspection team may have unintentionally miscounted. Whether the unidentified man was a spy, an unauthorized passenger, or he was created as a consequence of miscounting badly burned remains, at the German cemetery in Cannock Chase, there exists a plot for an unidentified German airman killed on February 4th, 1941. Short of exhuming the remains of all five graves and examining them for DNA, we may never know the truth of just how many crew members were aboard Bars Dornier that cold night of February 1941. By far and away, the one mystery concerning the aerial campaigns fought during World War II that continues to spark the most debate and intrigue are the reports of Foo Fighters. No one has ever denied that pilots in every theatre of the globe observed unidentified aerial phenomena in the war-torn skies, often in the form of luminous balls of light. But researchers seem to be no closer to uncovering the truth now than they were during and immediately after the war. Perhaps the most defining sightings of this phenomena occurred in the waning hours of the night of November 27th, 1944. The US Army Air Force's 415 Night Fighter Squadron flying British-built Bristol Bowfighters were conducting night intruder operations over the Rhine Valley. The aircraft was piloted by Lieutenant Ed Schluter, who was being guided by Lieutenant Donald J. Mears, operating the aircraft's radar. Usually, the Bowfighter flew with two, but on this occasion, a third crewman was aboard as an observer named Lieutenant Fred Ringwald. Flying just north of Strasbourg on the Franco-German border, Ringwald suddenly spoke up, saying, I wonder what those lights are over there in the hills. Looking out into the night, the three men observed eight to ten lights arranged in a row, glowing fiery orange. Attempting to identify them, they contacted Allied ground radar controllers, who reported back that their ground radars registered nothing other than their bow fighter. When Schluter turned the bow fighter to intercept the objects, they simply vanished in front of them, like someone flipping a light switch. Discussing what they had seen on the flight back to their base, the men decided they would keep the sighting to themselves, fearing that they would be ridiculed or deemed unfit for flying. 
However, as they learned of other pilots who had similar experiences, they came forward with their story. Mears, who was a fan of the popular comic strip Smokey Stover, featuring a character who used the nonsensical word foo in place of real words, coined the term Foo Fighter, and without a better term coming to light, the name has since stuck. Since the war, the Foo Fighter phenomenon has been largely absorbed into UFO lore, thanks to increased interest in the latter topic in the immediate post-war period. However, many researchers have attempted to find more earthly explanations. The most immediate explanation considered, and one that Lieutenant Ringwald would state that the crew initially believed, was that they were observing some kind of new German aircraft or weapon. This is a wholly understandable assumption to have made, considering the often incredible wonder weapons Hitler had put into production towards the end of the war. Jet fighters, rocket fighters, early missiles. Many of these were still weapons of science fiction to the Allies, yet Hitler's forces were fielding them, albeit with mixed results. However, this theory has largely been dispelled for two key reasons. Firstly, while the Foo Fighters often appear near Allied warplanes conducting combat operations, they never appeared to threaten or inhibit them in any way. Secondly, interrogation of German Luftwaffe officers after the war revealed that their pilots too had witnessed Foo Fighters, and were just as baffled as the Allied crews. This fact has only added fuel to the mystery of the origin of these strange, fiery balls of light. Explanations put forward in the decades since the end of the war were varied, and ranged from the wholly plausible to the fanciful. Even with German officers denying any knowledge, there are still many people who cling to the theory that the Foo Fighters were experimental German aircraft, pointing to German research into flying disc planes and the so-called Die Glock. As for sightings in the Pacific Theater, they believe the technology was transferred to Germany's ally Japan to continue the war effort. Again, not unreasonable, since Germany did share jet, rocket, and radar research with Tokyo. However, the question remains regarding why these Foo Fighters didn't appear to attack Allied warplanes. Were these unsuccessful, experimental aircraft perhaps? And if so, what happened to them after the war? And why hasn't anyone come forward admitting they were involved in the project? German scientists and officers were more than happy to tell of their achievements to the Allies after the war. In fact, in a final act of defiance, many exaggerated claims of what they had done, so it would suit them to talk of building fireball weapons or aircraft. One suggestion that was popular in military circles is that many of the Foo Fighter sightings can be attributed to nocturnal rocket tests carried out by the Nazis. The blinking out of the lights witnessed by the Bowfighter crew, for example, could be the rockets expending their last fuel, leaving them to continue on through the remainder of the flights unpowered. Other explanations include the Germans releasing flares to distract Allied planes, or possibly that old favorite for explaining any unidentified flying object, weather balloons. The problem is, none of these explanations seem to stand up to any real scrutiny, given what the pilots described seeing. Most researchers generally agree that the Foo Fighters were probably some kind of natural atmospheric phenomenon, the most likely culprit being a variation of St. Elmo's fire. 
St. Elmo's fire is a form of luminous plasma created by a corona discharge from a rod-like object, such as a mast or spire, in an electrically charged environment. The result is a blue or violet glow around the object, often accompanied by a hissing or buzzing sound, and is noticeable primarily during thunderstorms. Another explanation is that the pilots were observing a rare occurrence of ball lightning, but in the case of the Bowfighter crew, it would have to have been eight at once, and all in a row. Another explanation that has always been quietly floated around was that the objects were the result of crews and pilots experiencing some form of mass delusion brought on by combat stress. Naturally, witnesses to Foo Fighters have vehemently rebuffed such claims, and even the suggestion goes a long way to explaining why the Bowfighter crew were hesitant to come forward with their story we will likely never know for certain just what pilots were seeing in the night skies during the Second World War, and it will remain an enduring mystery of the war in the air. And there you have four aviation mysteries of World War II. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.